What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Danny Priori, and today I'm joined by model, mental health advocate, businesswoman, Tanae White. Tanae, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. I mean, you're here, so we're, we're having a conversation. It's one of those things, too. It's like when I saw you were coming on the show, I have a friend who did Sports Illustrated as well, Camille Kostic. I don't know if you yes, know her. Yeah, yeah. Camille's super cool. She did a couple podcasts with us back in the day. But yeah, so what I want to jump into is, all right, so you were born in Baltimore, right? Yes. And then how old are you when you moved from Baltimore to Connecticut? I was five. You were five. Okay. Do you have it like any memories of Baltimore though? Because I always feel like like around five years old, I started like remembering stuff. Yeah, I have tons of memories because my family is all, all my extended family is in Baltimore and further south. So um, very much still connected to it, even when I was raised in Connecticut. Okay. Do they say like, D- <laughs> D- how did I know that was coming? <laughs> you guys got to know what else do. That was like, yeah, I remember, every time I go to Baltimore, like I had a kid on a travel basketball team with me. And he was from Baltimore and he's like, you know, it's like, this is what, you know, we got to go out there and just do what we need to do. And I would just be like, yo, you good, bro. I was like, what the fuck is that? Between Philadelphia and like South Jersey, like the O's, like Philadelphia, mm-hmm. crazy conversations going on down there. I would say Jersey accents are much more intense than Baltimore. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And then it's like, you know, people watch like three episodes of The Wire and think everyone talks like that. Exactly. Yeah. No, for my family, I would say that slight twang is there, but it's not as intense because they're in Baltimore County, which is a bit more different than the city, but still Baltimore all the same. So like, you know, in terms of like Baltimore, Maryland, and then Southington, is it? Mm -hmm. Southington, Connecticut? Culture shock. Yes. No. Extreme, actually. It's actually one of the reasons I think that contributed to my depression, actually that change from being the one of many, the only white teachers or white people I ever really saw were my kindergarten teachers, to then being the only black person and never even being in a town where I've seen so many non-blacks in my life. Definitely a culture shock. I don't think my parents realized it, how much of a culture shock it would be and affect my mental health. Even I didn't realize what was going on until, you know, me being an adult and really realizing like the effects that it played on how I saw myself, my self-esteem and all that. But regardless of the bad, I still am very grateful for Connecticut because it taught me so much. I don't think I would be nearly as ambitious if I wasn't raised in an environment where I felt like I had to push myself that hard, you know? So very thankful. Kind of similar growing up is I moved to a town in South Jersey called Avalon, New Jersey. And my brother and I, were uh, the only people of any kind of color in the school. So they were like, oh, who are these Puerto Rican kids? Yeah. 
And, you know, and it, it was tough for us because, you know, they called us a lot of names. I'm sure that you got called a lot of names. Here's one thing about children. Love them. Pieces of shit, though. They're so <laughs> fucking mean. Agreed. Agreed. They're they so fucking mean. And they don't care. <laughs> no, no one's hurt my feelings more than a child. Same, same. I will never. You ha- you couldn't even pay me to go back and relive middle school. Oh, my gosh. There's just no filter. You know how many like times I would see like a niece, like and a nephew. And the, the first thing they'll say to me is like, oh, like you got fat. <laughs> I'm like, damn, bro. I'm bringing all these fucking Christmas presents back to the truck. Fuck you guys. <laughs> this shit is a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> In your situation, how'd you deal with that stuff? Did you tell your parents a lot about what was going on? Were your parents kind of like, you know, when you're outnumbered, it's hard to go to the principal's office. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's like, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so called my daughter this. And they're like, well, you know, they're just kids. And, you know, I think we give them the excuse of being just kids. But a lot of this stuff starts in, like, in households. They learned it somewhere. Right. Exactly. I think for me, I don't think I felt safe going to any adult because me being the only Black person for the majority of my school time through grade school I was the only person, not even a, like a black teacher, you know? So like yeah. even sometimes the teacher would say these slightly racially off comments. Yeah. Like, for example, like I was raised in Southington, which is a very wealthy middle-class town, but our school participated in the program where, you know, you can bust in inner city students so they can have a better education. So a lot of times they would assume I'm from Hartford, which is probably one of the more dangerous cities of the state. Mm-hmm. And assume that I was bust in. So they would ask questions like that, or they would maybe undermine my intelligence. And I'd come back with the answer and they'd be like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I can read. You know, <laughs> you were a scholar. They thought you were a scholarship kid. Exactly. I sort of had to prove myself every, every which way. And so when my parents, when I would come home and my parents would ask me, you know, how was school? I would just keep it as short and simple as possible. Fine. It was fine. I didn't really f- want to. I had gone through so much trauma during the school day. I didn't want to relive it, talking about it at home, you know? Do you wish you were more like transparent with your parents about what was going on? Definitely. I think if they knew some of the things that were said to me by students and teachers, they probably would have definitely got me into therapy sooner. Probably would have more seriously considered transferring schools for me because I begged them for years. I want to go back to Maryland. Please, please, please. Okay, if we can't go back to Maryland, what about like another neighboring town, boarding school? anywhere please you know right. so definitely hindsight of course is always 2020 for sure and and you know i know what it is it's like when you're a kid you kind of think everything's your fault you know yes sometimes and then you see whatever trials and tribulations your parents are going through and you don't want to add to that you know it become it becomes something that you know we all have things when we were kids that we didn't want to tell people one because we're afraid and then two it's also like Nobody's really going to care about like what I really have to say because I'm like 11 years old. Exactly. And I was a very shy kid, too. So I think that played a large part, too. Yeah. So like, but your parents didn't like didn't have money growing up, right? No, not not with that. My dad's from the Bronx. I mean, All right, I bet. Yeah, and yeah, my yeah. In inner city, Baltimore, very much similar. So for them, even both of them, you know, went on to college. Both went to HBCUs, do extremely well for themselves. I grew up not needing a single thing. The only thing they asked me to do was just do your best. 
they would, you know, not be happy if I brought home a B. A's were always the goal, you know, selling in sports was always the goal. But outside of that, I never wanted for food, electricity, hot water, nothing. So I feel very privileged. But I think in that same breath, because to them, that's all they wanted growing up. Fast forward to me and my brother having that, they're like, oh, okay, there's nothing to be sad about. There's nothing to complain about. There's no issues. Be grateful, you know? And so, you know, now as an adult, when I have conversations with them and I start to sort of enlighten and enlighten them on things I experience, they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, you think it was easy being called Oreo every day or worse or not sure how, where to sit on the bus because I felt like my skin color was, you know, deterring anybody from wanting to be my friends or even with my hairstyles, my mom would do my hair and she would do these beautiful hairstyles with barrettes and stuff. And the yeah. kids would love them, but I always felt like I was a spectacle, you know, like, oh, right. look at her, poke, poke, poke type of thing. I, I just wanted to blow. How many white girls asked to touch your hair? <laughs> at least 10 times a day, every day. Up until now, I'm 30 years old now. I still get it. Still. No. Yes. Matter of fact, now when I have my Afro out, people don't even ask. They just, so like, I'm always on guard when I have my No Afro. way. I swear to you. I actually have a police report. it's on my fridge (laughs) one thing that i'm very proud of is that i've never asked to touch anyone's hair (laughs) it's kind of just a weird request if you really think about it imagine just walking up to a random person and be like hey can i touch your hair exactly a friend of mine is like like this tall blonde dude and he went to japan and like everyone asked to stop and take pictures with him Mm -hmm. and then i had a friend who's black and played basketball in China and everyone stopped to take pictures with him. Yeah. I was like, and he would text me just being like, this shit is like, they're making me feel like a circus freak over here. It's very, very strange. Yeah. People trying to touch your hair. That's, that's why I've heard heard crazy stories. I mean, I think in a way, like, like I'll give Japanese Chinese people kind of a pass because like, I don't know, like it's a shock for them. Yeah, like a, a white girl. Yeah, a white girl's. Yeah, like a white girl's seen a black girl before. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, like you know, you want to be friends enough so I could touch your hair. That shit is so fucking weird. So both your parents went to HBCUs, right? Yeah. How they feel about you uh, being a terp? Um, they loved it. I think for them, the biggest concern was just the cost of student loans. Yeah, Maryland's an expensive school. It sure is. They helped pay for a part of my tuition, but the rest I had to put on student loans. And so originally the first two years I went to Southern Connecticut State and then I transferred. Just making sure that I was financially stable was probably one of the top reasons why they were any, even just a little bit hesitant about me, you know, going out of state. But I was hell bent. When I tell you, I would pray to God every night, God, the second I graduate high school, I'm out of here make sure it happens. I will do anything. Like there was no way I was going to stay in Connecticut for college for all four years. There was just no way. No, no, you can't. It, it's, I feel like everybody needs to get out of their comfort zone, especially at that age. Cause it teaches, it teaches you a lot about resiliency. You know, it's like, Hey, I'm away from my parents. And it's like, see, I didn't go. That's one of my biggest regrets is that I never went to like sleep away college. I always went to community college. You know, so I like all my friends would go to like Wisconsin, Michigan, University of Vermont, Maryland. So I would go and visit like all these campuses. You know what I mean? I got fucking so hammered 
<laughs> at a Duke Maryland basketball oh. game. So it was years ago. It was when DJ Strawberry played basketball there. I'm sure you don't know who that is, but like he played basketball there and they beat Duke and College Park was like going crazy. Yeah, before they switched over to the yeah. Yeah. Before, yeah, when they were still in the ACC and then like I went to like a Sean Merriman used to play football there. He, he's built a bunch of like bars there. Okay. And then like there was a point guard. His name was Grievous Vasquez. He was out at the bar with us that night and I was going to the bathroom. He was just peeing in the sink. <laughs> I was like, this guy's going to be in the NBA next year. And this guy's just pissing in a sink. Good for him. I feel like you're a, you're a terp by association. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, ter- I'm a terp by association. Two of my good friends are Terps. But, you know, I think there's there's a weird thing about Maryland, right? That people don't realize how diverse it actually is. Mm-hmm. When you think of Baltimore and you don't live... Before The Wire came out, nobody knew that Baltimore was, was hood like that. Nobody right. knew. Everyone thought like, oh, Cal Ripken. And like, oh, just Camden Yards. And like, this is nice. And, right. you know, it's Baltimore. I remember going through college park and just being like, wow, there's a lot of different looking people here. Yeah, there is. There you really know, is. I said, I said, this is why colleges are so important. Cause you get pushed into realizing one be trying to be an adult, which I had to learn way later. I think college would help me a lot with that, but, and you get to learn how to deal with different types of people. Yeah. I think for me, when I moved out for college, I, that's when I realized I wasn't ugly. <laughs> I know that sounds so crazy, but literally, I just always thought I'm ugly. That's why no guy likes me. I have no one to take the prom, you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, go to college and it's like, I fighting people off me, like, oh, you like me? There you go. There you go. See, that's the thing, though, too. That's the thing, though, too, right? So we're going to get into when did you start modeling? Four years ago. Four years ago. So you started. I guess that's normal. I don't know shit about modeling. I did get signed as a plus size model though, so it's whatever. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm in the game and shit. I got an agent, WME, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it is what it is. Yes. But um when you started modeling, was this like all a culmination of obviously all of our journeys are different, right? We all have certain things that happen to us in life. Because when you were 12, you attempted to take your own life, correct? Correct. So Talk to me about how much that moment resonates with everything that you do today. The 12-year-old moment or just becoming a model? The 12-year-old. I want to know about from the 12-year-old moment, how much of that do you still think about? Does it still weigh on you? Is it something that you take into all of your work every day? Because, you know, if that happens, we're not even having this conversation. So Right. Yeah. I think my first attempt to take my life at 12 was significant because not only did it remind me, I don't want to be here, not in life, but like, I don't want to be in Connecticut, but also now looking back, I realized that that experience was very unique because it is sort of established the fact that like, I will never be the same as anybody else. I will always be unique in a certain way, not by skin color, not by hair type, not by, you know, the words that I speak, but simply because I have such a unique life experience, which is surrounded or the it's framed by depression. And so moving into, you know, Sports Illustrated, when I, you know, tried out for the competition the first time, I think I very much embraced the fact that I'm not your normal person. I'm in aerospace. 
I like fashion. I have a fashion blog. I've never modeled before. This is a dream of mine. You know, so here, here's my submission. Then year two comes around. And I think at that point, I felt more comfortable to show more of me. So it was, yes, I'm all of those, those things. But however, most people don't assume that a model can be depressed or suicidal or have the ideation of it. And so I don't know if you had the time to look, but in my first year shooting with them, actually my second year shooting with them, they did a lot of these video series and a lot of mine were based around mental health, how I've contributed back to it and my experience with it, especially being a black person because black people don't really talk about mental health in a way. It's always been a, there's either one, nothing for you to complain about or two, look to God. There's no real tangible solution. And so what I love is the fact that I can be one of the voices in my community to be more outspoken about it. Obviously, I'm not the only, but I think it's important to start those conversations. And through that, I've been able to start those conversations with my family, with my parents, with my little brother, with my best friends. I feel like it's actually helped me to build bonds better because I can be so vulnerable. And I get so many DMs, even up until today talking about how, you know, they're so thankful that I've been so honest. They felt the same way. They tell me a little bit about their story too. And they just feel like they're so happy to know they're not alone. And so those matter to me because for, for me, most of my life, I always felt alone. There's no way someone else can go through this or feel this way. And so once I finally came out of, you know, the first phase of my, my depression, which I feel like was probably the deepest, you know, between the ages of 12 and 16, I vowed to myself, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure no one else feels that way. Even if I touch one person, yep. that my life's work will be complete. And so over time that has evolved because I did a mental health advice column during college and this and that. And now I've just launched Feel Good Babe, which is my mental health community for women that I launched last month that I really see myself taking further than I I ever could have imagined anything else I've done. See, like, it's also one of those things, too. So there's stigmas with mental health, especially in the black community, right? Suicide rates. If people really saw the numbers, I think they would be astonished, especially the people in the community. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, wow, like this is really happening to us. Like. You know, that's one of the main things is, you know, this this show, the company that runs it, it's run by two black men, you know, and, and, and you know, they I, when we talked about collaborating, I was like, you know, we got to try and eliminate these stigmas, especially among black men and women. But, you know, it's it's crazy because you get told all this stuff is right. They tell you uh, man up. No, it's all right. Somebody has it worse. But people don't really understand what it's like in that moment when you're in that Listen, I suffer from bipolar. I've had severe depression. There's nothing worse someone could say to me is, you know, it'll be all right. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. I'm like, nah, man. I was like, you guys weren't with me on that 11th floor when I was about to jump off that shit. Like, you guys were not up there. You know what I mean? Like, my life was over. Like, in my head, my life, it was a wrap. Like, I was done. You know, and then, you know, you start to see all these things and you do get DMs and you speak to people and, like I've always said on this show, if, if this show helps one person a week, I'm good. I like, I don't need to get money off of this. Yeah. Like I'm chilling. I just want to help people. And I think it takes people to go through shit. And now it's just to be like, why am I going through this right now? Yes, why me? Why am I going through this shit? And then in a way though, too, I feel in a way I'm a spiritual guy, but I felt like in a way I was like, you know what? Like if we pull through this, I got to give back at least. 
because the energy that's been put, getting put into me, I need to put back out into the universe because my parents didn't give up on me. My parents felt bad. My parents felt like it was all their fault. Did your parents kind of feel sense like that at all? Now that they know the full story, yes. But back then, they didn't know because I always smiled. I always laughed. You would not know unless you're in my bedroom at night. Yeah. Jeez. Mental health has become a little bit of like a clout chase game now. 1000%. You know what I mean? And it's like, listen, like I didn't 5150 myself to like have to be dealing with like clout chasers, like of like, if you're really going to be about it, like be about it, like try to go out there and do the best that you can to help people. I help people every day. I'm not saying that people aren't doing the right thing, but you're not putting in the work. I used to get mad when my friends would say, oh, like I'm OCD, like I'm so OCD. I'm like, were you diagnosed OCD? And they were like, no. And I was like, then don't say that. Yeah. Same with bipolar. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm so bipolar. I was like, are you diagnosed with that? Like, I was like, do you guys know how much this shit sucks? Like, it sucks to like deal with. You know what I mean? Like, if I don't take my medication for a day, my entire body feels weird. Sometimes I just forget to take my medication and like my days are like fucked up. And I'm like, listen, guys, I was like, you guys don't want this shit. You know, I was like, you don't want to rock with the shit. You don't want to deal with it. Be blessed to be where you're at. Everybody's life is different. You know, it's a spectrum depression. And I tell them all the time, like, we have to be careful with the words we say, because that's what the stuff that feeds the stigma of what we're trying to break. Very much so. I noticed that there is a misuse of the word depression. For sure. 100%. Yeah. Like, I'm depressed. You know, I couldn't get my nails done today. Life is so hard. And it's like, okay, I understand your frustration, how it inconvenienced you, but baby, that is not depression. <laughs> that is not depression. If you were depressed, you wouldn't even be thinking about getting your nails done. Right. I try to help people define depression. When people ask me what my depression feels like, I'm just, it's just like numbness. Like I don't give a fuck about shit, mm-hmm. you know? And like, there'll be days where I'll be in my room for three days straight. Like my fiance, she'll come in and out and she'll see me. She'll be like, damn, you're going through it. Like, you know, like uh, I could tell. And, you know, when I have manic episodes, you know, I mean, it's like, are you single? Mm-hmm. I'm in a relationship. I'm 34. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. So like dealing with a serious mental illness and being in, in a relationship is so fucking hard for the partner. So this is what I want people to understand is like what I go through is really, really hard. Now, imagine not being equipped to deal with it and having to deal with it. You know, my fiance didn't go to school for 12 years and study the brain. You know, she's a, she's a physical therapist. So she went and studied, you know, she, she can help me if my back hurts. Yeah. When we're feeling like that, we put that energy out into the world. It's just like people feel they feel helpless while we feel hopeless. Yeah. So it spreads. It's very contagious. But I hate the way that people use depression without medical diagnosis because it's not helping in terms of the statistics and it's not helping in terms of their own case, right? So it's like, listen, if you're telling me me you're depressed, then we're going to go to a doctor and we're going to find out how depressed you are. Yeah. We have to. People have to start treating depression like COVID. I agree. You know, it's like everyone got COVID and they were like, yo, I got to go get these tests. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. I'm like, but we'll sit sit in our room depressed for five days and not go see anybody. And I'm telling you, 
people are like, I know it's tough with insurance. I know it's tough. I had to spend $40,000 because I had no insurance when I went inpatient, right? But I came out better. I said, I'll deal with it. They'll yeah. get the money. They'll get it when they get it. I can't give it to them now. Right. And they know, <laughs> they know that. They know that shit. You think right. I'm the only person that owes them 40 bands? Like, you know, right. I was just like, yo, like they can't pull me away. They can't turn me away. So, you yeah. know, that was the thing. I was like, yo, don't even worry about that at that moment. Sooner or later, they'll forget about it. Trust me. You'll be fine. I turned it in to tie into what you were saying. I turned it into my career. You know what I mean? I, I made a career out of being truthful with myself and truthful with my story. So for you, though, this is what I always ask people in entertainment and modeling is different. Modeling and acting are like the two things where you could get be like racist and get away with it. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, you know, and, and, and like sizest and like shapest. All of it. All of it. They're like, like, hey, we're, hey, we're casting a role of like a tall, fat black woman <laughs> who's like really sassy. And then they'll put this racist ass fucking ad agent ad out there. And then like 400 people will show up. That's the craziest yeah. thing to me. It's like, hey, man, we're looking for like a really like skinny, 110 pound, 510 green eyed white woman mm -hmm. to walk in this thing. I don't understand. I think you would know better than me. You're in it. Is it is it a little more inclusive than when you started? I would hope. I would say I joined modeling at the cusp of it transitioning into a more inclusive environment. Like, for example, I won Sports Illustrated model search two years after Camille. Got it. We're already in the wave of inclusivity. For me, what was significant about it is that we were also going into hair inclusivity. Because when I was first uh. applying after I won, I was coming in like this with straight hair. Right. They're like, you have an afro. I'm like, yeah. They're like, we don't want this wig. Where your afro out? I was like, are you sure? They're like, yeah. And that's, like, oh, that's kind of lit. That yeah. That also comes with the fact that not, unfortunately, even in today's age, they're still hiring hairstylists who don't know how to work with my hair. So actually two years ago, right before the pandemic, actually, I had a photo shoot. This guy who was very experienced, he was black, actually, did my hair. Heat damage is so bad. It was the first time I had put heat on my natural hair since shaving my head off, shaving my head. Yeah. And my hair never reverted back. So I spent most of the pandemic regrowing out my afro, you know? So there's still situations like that. I would have sued the fuck out of them. I wish. I want to put insurance on my hair. <laughs> you should. You should. I tell people all the time, listen, if it helps, makes you money, insure it. Insure it. Yeah. Because this is what people got to understand, right? We're all in the entertainment business because we want to, we all have a, a look at me inside of us. Look at me. You know, it's like, hey, you get to look at me, but I get to entertain you. So that's the trade off, right? Like, you want to see me. I want to get paid. So let's do this transaction and let's all have fun together and, and, make, and make it a thing. The transparency in entertainment just needs to get there. So for you, though, you actually had to do your own hair, right? Most times I do. I'll come to set with my hair already done. Is that because like you're you're terrified now? Or you just know that most hairdressers just don't know what to do with you? I make it a point for my agents to send me the full call sheet so I can look up the hairstylist background. And if in their Instagram or on their online portfolio, I don't see a single natural hair girl, I already know what's up. <laughs> Let's say I come out freshly washed, nothing done to it. I'm going to walk to set. I'm going to sit down knowing I look a hot mess at 8 a.m. They're going to do this. Okay, you're done. Yeah. And I'm like, what? 
Or sometimes what will happen is the client wants me in my Afro, but there's versions of my Afro. You can have it full picked out Angela Davis, or you can have it where the curls are defined. Most times they want the curls defined. And a lot of hairstylists don't know how to do that method. So I just sort of come prepared just for anything. And if worse comes to worse, they can pick it out if they need to. Now, how often do you feel like you have to protect yourself in terms of your identity when it comes to, you know, like we were talking about, like, hey, like we need like this type of person. And it's like, are they subjecting me or is this something, you know, do you have to go through? Is that a dialogue that plays out in your head? No, not for me, because I think I have established a really good relationship with my agents. So they know what I will or won't do. What are my boundaries? You know, things like that. Luckily, I don't have to be in the weeds of those conversations. But like, for example, there's been a couple of times where my agent sent me a, a submission for a hair brand, a famous hair brand who wants a natural hair girl and they want to dye her hair either red or purple. And I was like, and it's the money. It's amazing. But I'm like, okay, once they, I have a very unique hair shade. It's like a light Brown with a bit blonder in the front. So like you can't recreate it. So I'm like, well, if this is the case, are they dying my hair back after? Like, are they going to pay for my salon fee to go and get it undone? Otherwise, I'm not paying that. Yeah, listen, listen, for men listening to this, just so you guys know, when any woman goes into a salon, it's 100 off top, easy. And that's the lowest, 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 lowest. For a black woman, double that. Gosh. As the baseline. How do you feel about white women with braids? As a person with a tender scalp, I just think I'm sorry because their hair is going to (laughs) fall I don't know if you've seen on TikTok the like aftermath. I've seen it. I've seen them. They don't believe it's true. And, you know, that's fine. Sometimes you have to learn the hard way. Go ahead. I mean, at the end of the day, you can wear braids if you want to. I have one of my best friends is Filipina. She she did box braids one time. Fine. Do you. But at the end of the day, also don't start complaining or bashing box braids when your hair is falling out because your hair (laughs) is not coarse enough or strong enough to hold, to hold on to down. the weight of that braid. Also, remember, when you have braids, you're not just letting them sit there. You're oiling your scalp, making sure everything is okay, wrapping your hair at night. They usually omit that too, which then facilitates the falling out of your hair even more. So I follow a few hair pages and girls will, and you know, when they share videos like that, girls will be arguing back and forth, even hairstylists arguing back and forth. But it's like, the fact of the matter is, it's not that we don't want you to have it enjoy your life, do what you want to do with your body. We're just trying to inform you and make you more educated about the fact that it's not going to go the way you think it is. Yeah. For your hair type, you have much more risk of going bald. Hey, listen, you heard it here first. You know what I mean? Thank God I'm 34. I still have my hair, but I have my beanie on because I had my hat hair. So I was hiding it. You spoke to a guidance counselor though, right? At one point in your life, do you still keep in contact with this guidance counselor at all? No, because that guidance counselor did something very foul, I learned later on. Oh, so, you have you have one of those too, have, huh? Yeah, I have a... You got one of those too. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Not to say that guidance counselors are bad. Mine obviously helped me. Oh, no. When I tell you I left Connecticut, I left and cut every tie for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> I really, unless we're Facebook friends... Isn't it so weird, though, how, like, a person can be, like, you know, like, what they did it was a bad thing. Like, it's a bad person, right? But it's like, oh, but they kind of helped me, though. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that hard? It's like, damn, like, 
that kind of sucks. You know what I mean? I'm like, damn, that shit is kind of fucked up. Yeah. I had a, I had a vice principal get in some trouble for some weird shit. And he used to be really nice to me. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. And then we found out a couple of years later and then I was watching the news. And I go, Oh yeah. All of that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I said, you know what? All that makes sense. All that makes sense. So about being a sports illustrated rookie, right? What are the nerves? What are your thoughts when you're in there? Cause are you guys all taking pictures? Like, all right, who's next? All right, you're next. Like, or, or do you guys all have like your own separate shoots? Yeah, we have our separate shoots. So usually they'll shoot, I want to say between three and five girls at a time at a location. So like one week they'll be in Barbados. The next week they're in Turks and Caicos. The next week they're in Europe somewhere. You know, they spread it out. And usually what happens is a model has one day to herself for photography and one day to herself for the videography and like the adventure time that they usually do. So okay. for last year, my last, my third year in it, we went to Barbados. I shot all day from sunup to sundown, literally. You wake up at 5 a.m. You're not done until like 8 p.m. Enjoyed time with the team, got dinner, woke up the next day, did my activation. I played cricket and then one other ball game. But it was awesome. They even made me eat crickets. <laughs> I've ate crickets before, too. They're not terrible. They're not bad. It's not the worst thing. It's yeah. like almost like a like a like a chip almost if they yeah. if they're fried it's not it's not terrible yeah. or like an overly cooked piece of bacon <laughs> yes yeah 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 they're not that bad they're not that bad <laughs> but, so you're there with like three or four other models though yes usually they don't tell you who though like they're very quiet on who's shooting because sometimes it could be a celebrity or you know something else that they have uh, yeah okay. but, um usually if you're like past each other in the halls of the hotel you're like oh my god yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Like, the call she and it's like, okay, today's shooting Monday, Sarah shooting Tuesday. So then I'll be like, oh, okay, she's in this year's issue. All right, but how much in like the back of your mind you're like, oh, hey, what's up? It's like I'm fucking beat you, bitch. I'm gonna beat you. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> honestly, I would say that being a sports illustrated model is almost like a, a sorority of sorts. Like once you're in, there's just this community. Like you immediately just love each uh. other. I, I can positively say. That's probably one of my favorite things about Sports Illustrated. Like even if, let's say they don't bring me back for a fourth year, no harm, no foul, because I still have so much love from everybody, from the team and the models. Yeah. And sometimes they bring you back, like you may skip two years and then they bring you back again. Like it's just never ending. You just never Well, you've done it three years in a row, right? Yes. Which one was your favorite shoot? Barbados. 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 Okay. So here's another thing, another stigma that we're going to break too. People think model, right? Especially men. Men think model. And what do we think? They're hot and dumb. Yes. <laughs> you said it. I didn't say it. I'm not going to get canceled. So Maryland, and then you get your master's at Georgetown. Okay. Let me tell you guys something. People have to understand. This is why we, we break stigmas on the show. and We break down barriers on this show. All right. So let me ask you this. What's the, what's the, your favorite part about your job and the least favorite part about your job? My favorite part of being a model is creating art. I've always been a creative kid. So I, I love to create. I taught myself how to code when I was 12. I can do everything front and back end. So I've always been an artistic person, but I think the worst thing about it is the lack of stability. Like, because I came from corporate America, I'm, I'm used to having a paycheck every week and insurance right. and health insurance and all that stuff. You don't have that as a model. So a lot of times, you know, I actually, I have a whole YouTube series about this, about like bringing 
the realities of the model life to like the forefront. Like I know tons of models who are sharing a four bedroom apartment or they're sharing a bedroom with another person. And sometimes they don't get paid for six months. Why? I don't know. Cause their agency messed up the client didn't pay. I don't know what it is. I've been in that, in that situation, even this summer, you know, I would have yeah. to go to my agent several times and be like, Hey, you guys are sitting on five figures that I've worked for. Yeah, my let me get that. Yeah. My rent is due tomorrow. You know, yeah, stuff let me hold like that. that. Those are conversations that are extremely common as a model. So you really have to fight for your worth like every day in every instance of it. You paying those taxes quarterly, I hope. I'm not, but I learned the hard way. Actually, there you just- go. No, I'm only saying that I'm not trying to school you because No, I me. learned. Last year was the first year that I owed. And I, said, I was God like, damn. how much? Yeah. How much? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, we're going to have to set up a payment program, fellas. And they were like, all right. The thing is, though, too, I've always I've always kind of just give them something. Right. And then they'll stay they'll stay off your ass for the most part. But you know what I mean? It's just put it away under your bed. Like, don't you got to put it it away under your bed? You know, all you 1099ers out there, that money, all that money is not yours. I'm letting you know now. Be careful. Matter of fact, I had a meeting last week with my accountant. So this is a tender for me right now. (laughs) I know. My accountant fucking shit on me the other day, too. He's like, dude, what are you doing? And I was like, my bad, bro. And he was just like, figure it out. And I was like, okay, I'll figure it out. He's like, quarterly, we're paying taxes. He called me yesterday and was like, listen, we're paying taxes quarterly. So all you 1099ers out there, that's it. So if you weren't modeling, what do you think you would be doing? Definitely back in corporate America. How did you feel about that? How did you like corporate America, though? loved it like you liked aerospace you like that stuff i loved it i absolutely loved it i was traveling the world i led both the uk and us teams i absolutely loved it i think for me what helped me to transition out of it was the fact that during that time i ended up doing two roles at the same time because my supervisor had left and Mm. so that was actually causing me to have panic attacks which i didn't realize at the time so when i'd be driving to work my chest started hurting almost as if it felt like I was having a heart attack. Every day this would happen. Went to urgent care a couple of times. I finally did an EKG. They're like, your heart is fine, but it's likely onset panic attacks. Here's oh, some yeah. medication for you. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is definitely my time to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, th- I think a lot of people don't understand is I know people are like, listen, I need the money. It's going to be tough. A career change? It could be a huge, huge benefactor to your mental health. I try to tell people that all the time. When people come to me and they're like, yo, I hate my job. Like, I hate this. I'm like, yo, bro, stay at the job for as long as you need to, but then have a plan B and enjoy your life, man. We're all going to die one day. I'm not going to stay here and do shit I don't want to do while I'm here. Exactly. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I refuse to just like do shit that I don't want to do. Yeah, make it. It makes you wither away. Yeah, and it's just like, listen, I spent so much time doing this and doing that, and it's like, you know, you're never supposed to ask a, a woman this, but how old are you? Thirty. You're thirty. So you know what I mean. It's like once you hit thirty, that's great that you're thirty. So now you could actually agree with me and understand where I'm coming from. Once you hit thirty, it's like I want to just live grown people shit. Like it's nice to go to a dinner and not have to look at the check. <laughs> You know that feeling, you know, like when you're like 20 and it's like, oh, like, oh, man, I need that. It's just like I could take my girl out and not have to like be like, oh, man, I'm not gonna, like, how much is this check going to be like? This is going to be crazy. Being you like a functional no adult. Idea. 
<laughs> it's the you best feeling. No I literally am in apartment hunting right now. And, oh, you know, it's the worst. Yeah, New York City prices are ridiculous. What I could pay for $2,000, what I could get for $2,000 in Maryland is night and day from what I can get for $2,000 in New York. I have to compromise so much. And I'm like, I need to make more money. What do yeah. I need to do? This is ridiculous. Yeah, because we do it to ourselves, though, too. It's like New York City, I say this all the time. New York City is the only place where you got to make six figures to be broke. Yes. And that's just yes. what it is. Like between the nightlife and Uber Eats and groceries and rents, I was living in a 600 something square foot apartment on Riverside Boulevard on 69th Street. And they wanted five bands a month for it. I moved to Jersey City. I said, I'll move to Jersey City. I have double the space now and I pay 3200 mm-hmm. It still isn't cheap, but like, you know, it's it, for me, it's like, oh. Like, you know, I actually have like space to do it. Like New York right now is just they're they're bugging. They're trying to make all the money back that they lost during COVID. That's just what it is. When I moved in that apartment, it was twenty seven hundred dollars. When I left, it was five thousand. That shit is crazy. Should be illegal. Should be illegal. I I agree. And then the worst thing about more. Yeah, they have to, because if you really think about it to move right now, you know, not to price you out, but like it's going to cost you ten thousand to move. On the, I, light, the on the light, on the light side. New York's prices is actually why I deeply consider moving back to Maryland like next week. Yeah, why not? You got, this is what COVID, people got to take this thing from COVID and understand it. All right? You don't need to live in New York City anymore. You don't. You don't. However, as a model, whose majority of her client base is based in New York, that at one point during the pandemic, I was commuting back and forth from Maryland to New York just for a 15-minute casting. It, it was, be like it that was, sometimes, though. It was hard. It wasn't worth it. So I told myself I'll give myself at least one more year, and then I'll either consider LA or I'll go back to the DMV. But um, New York definitely has left her mark on me in probably the worst way. <laughs> you want to know what it is? You know you're finally from New York and lived in New York al- enough when you're like, you wake up and you're just like, I fucking hate this place, but you love it. <laughs> you know, it's like this fucking place sucks. Right. I love, I love it. I went back to Maryland for homecoming a couple of weeks ago. And when I was back down there, I was like, I miss New York. (laughs) Yeah, it's the truth. New York has like everyone's relationship with New York is toxic. It's the most toxic place to live. Yep. Because you just can't leave it. You know, it's terrible for you. It's not it's you know, it's yeah, it has its benefits. But at the end of the day, it's like this thing took more of me than I took of it. Yeah. You leave parts of your soul here. Yeah, because parts of your soul die here. This is where people like for dreams to come true. But also think about like how many people's dreams die here. Die here, yeah. They love that's like, you know, like that's something that I always think about. It's like, dude, if you could make it, it's so corny, but like they say, like if you could make it here, you can make it anywhere. It's kind of true. It's very true because this will build you tough. And that shit will humble the fucking shit out of you. Like anytime I think I ever like have any kind of money, I just look at apartments that people own like brownstones. And I'm like, yeah, I got to work harder. (laughs) They showed like the lady, like the Corcoran lady. They like, you know, those videos where it's like, hey, what's up? Like, yo, where do you live? Can I see you? How much do you pay? Like those fucking TikToks. I was like, yo, this lady's got an $80 million condo. And that's one of her spots. Mm-hmm. Got to work harder. 
and it's a two bedroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got to do more. We got to do more. I'm telling you, it's the grind never stops. If you're a 1099, it's 1090 grind. That's all it is because it never, it never ends. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's 1090 grind season. That's it. That's what people have to understand. You could use it, but I'm just telling you, this is how it is. Everybody has to understand. Another thing that I want to just express to you, obviously we're so thankful to have people of, of all you know, walks of life on the show. But I really think that when we have people of color on the show, it's a really big deal for us because I'm half Puerto Rican, half Italian. So like I saw like racism inside my own family, which was like kind of crazy. The racism that I dealt with is not the same racism that black people deal with. I always say the people, the person that has it worse in the history of the entire world are black women. You see a great black man like did things, right? It's like, but usually though, like they had a woman on the side, you know what I mean? Like they, they, they were doing other shit. The black woman is the most suppressed, oppressed, fucking depressed. Probably people, people, any press is black women. So I hope that you do take time. It's something that I'll never be able to understand. But it's something that I, I that I try to be able to show as much compassion as possible, because historically, it's been kind of a rough run for you guys. Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. And still now, how much of that, especially like what you're doing for the mental health with women, but how much of that plays a role in what you do daily? Because, you know, you're educated. So you've done you've done all the reading. You've done you've done the history. What advice would you have for young women of color, especially black women mm-hmm. in the modeling industry, which has been known to be a racist industry. Entertainment industry is racist. Always. always will be. You know, always will be. For those that are that want to do it, what words of advice do you have for people that are up and coming, want to be up and coming, the younger generation? I call them the hopelessly hopeless. I would say um, be open, but be guarded. Be open to new experiences, Mm. opportunities. Do your best to say yes at every opportunity you get, as long as it feels legitimate. Don't just do it stupid and willy-nilly, because there's a lot of scammers out here, especially in the industry. Yes. And fucking perverts, too. And perverts, yes. Yes. But in that same breath, also be guarded and smart. Be cognizant. Do your research on everybody, even your agents, the history of your agency. Have they been in any lawsuits? Ask around, ask friends. Hey, how did you like working with this person or so-and-so? Get your bread right because Mm. you're going to likely have to pay a lot more than the average other white girl who can get it for free because the photographer has an affliction for white girls where he'll probably charge you $400 for that same exact shoot and you're a better model. Don't take anything. That happens? Oh, yes. I'm being sarcastic. Just happened just yesterday. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you something, man. That's it's so true. Everything like you said is just so crazy. It's like we let this shit happen. And I'm talking about dudes. We let this shit happen. We let this shit happen, and we let it happen too much. It's crazy though. Like, and the other thing I wanted to ask though too, like when you're shooting with SI and stuff, do they have mental health professionals there? No, they should have mental health professionals there. You know, they could. And they should, but also I'll say MJ Day, who's the chief editor, she is at every shoot and she is like a comforting mother Teresa. Yeah. She talks to you before the shoot. She touches base with you. 
she tells every girl, girl, you don't need to lose a single pound, eat the burger. That's her, one of her, her most notable lines is eat the burger. Yeah. Shoot, eat the burger, you know? So I would say that what I really love and was surprised about when I started with Sports Illustrated was the fact that when they mean they're inclusive, they want you for you. They don't want you to tweak yourself at all. Now you can on your own accord, but they will never encourage you to do anything outside of the way you came to them. And so when I go on to set, I feel so safe. I think that's why it's my favorite shoot to work on because I just feel so safe. Everybody feels so safe. Everyone feels like family. It sounds so cliche. There's no pressure except for to you to just have fun, enjoy it. And if there's something that's bothering you, it'll be fixed instantly. Yeah. To say the word, which is rare. It's yeah, I'm sure that's rare because most of those people they have a job to do and they're like, why can't you just do what we want you to do? Yeah, yeah. Not I'm not sure. even caring about what you're going through. They're like, oh, like uh, we need this picture, we need this, we need this, like lighting and all this shit. It's like, dude, I'm having a fucking nervous breakdown here. Right. Like I don't give a fuck about lying about this that I'm happy in Barbados right now. I can't breathe. Yeah, exactly. Most shoots, you're just a walking mannequin. Like trying the clothes, shoot, next look, shoot, next look, shoot. On with SI, they want to feel and hear your personality. So they want to, they want you to feel comfortable enough to just be you, which I really love. There's a reason why they've been around so long. Exactly. Nobody buys magazines anymore. Everyone buys that magazine. They do. Everyone buys that magazine though. (laughs) You know what I mean? No one buys magazines anymore. Everyone buys that one. If you could give your younger self any advice, Mm -hmm. what would you say to 12 year old you? Two things. Hold on. Hmm obviously. And secondly, I don't know how to say it without it coming off so aggressive, but check all those motherfuckers. I was such a pushover. And looking back, I wish my backbone forms early younger, because there's a few people I can name them. I know their first and last name still from elementary school. And you'll never forget them. I will never forget them. They should have been checked. I could have easily put them in their place too. It's like, I didn't even try, but, um, I think being shy and just not wanting to have any type of friction with anybody and just wanting right. to please everybody and not be the angry black girl and not ruffle any feathers and just do what I need to do. I could have still done that. But when someone tried me, I wish I could have, you know, corrected them, corrected those actions. I think that definitely would have changed the way I felt about myself, my self-esteem, the way I perceived myself. And I think that also would have perce- changed the way they perceived me. Mm, okay that's a bar you ever check their instagrams oh yeah <laughs> i do that too their linkedin their facebook and their instagram i'm checking i said as long as i'm doing better than you i'm winning <laughs> i'm winning a lot of them are my dms of course really <laughs> see that's how it goes oh remember like when we went to school i'm like yeah i fucking remember you you motherfucker <laughs> yeah i remember you bitch yeah you fucking <laughs> bitch i remember you <laughs> the last question though is when was the first moment when you were like holy shit this is my life hmm. because as entertainers we're always like it's on to the next thing we don't really stop and smell the roses too much it's like all right i did that now i'm on my phone like oh what's up all right yeah let's book this gig let's see if i can book this and do that and do all this shit yeah i think the first one was I've had a lot of them. The first was probably when I finally got into Maryland because I actually took me three times to apply. So that was the first one. I think career wise, the next one would be when I had my own office 
in my aerospace job. Nice. Like overlooking. Yeah. Oh, this is my shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was nice. And then after that, I would say when I won Sports Illustrated right after I did the runway show. Uh, now you're like, this shit is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, what next? <laughs> Listen, my dream is to be on a beach in Turks and Caicos one day and in between shoots, someone's just coming up and just like fixing my titties and shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just like making sure, like wiping fucking sweat off my head and shit. One day I'm going to get there. It's my dream. I can promise you, you can have that next week. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I am going to Turks. I am going to Turks in January. So I might just do my, my own. Oh, you're going to love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I bu- it's my birthday present to myself. I'm taking my fiance. Oh, happy birthday. To Thank you. Thank you. The older I get, the colder it is outside for some reason when I live in New York, you know? So I was like, you know what? I'm getting the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, my knees hurt for no reason and shit now. It's like, it's just old people shit, you know, yeah. just getting old. But listen, I'm so proud to have you on the show and I'm proud of you. Thank you for being so open and and willing to share your experiences. The last question that I ask everybody on the show is, are you happy today? Yes. Okay. That's all. Yes. That's it. Because <laughs> I, I, I was actually just in my car thanking God like an hour ago because the apartments I was looking at today are not at the same caliber I could have looked at last year. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy how one year can change everything. It's crazy. I, I and I've had a really, really, really hard year. In August, I actually tried to take my life yet again. So it's been wow. Yes, it's been quite so. <laughs> just dropped that bomb at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we're gonna need uh, another another minute here. So what what have you been diagnosed with? Depression. Okay. Depression. Like manic depression, or you just have severe severe depression. I'm actually not too sure. That's not my to do list to do because when I was admitted to the psych ward late August. Which one? It was at one of the hospitals, Kala something. Uh, I went to Len- I went to Lenox Hill Hospital, so I was saying I was like, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, it was somewhere was in Brooklyn. Graduating class, you know what I mean. So just make sure. <laughs> yeah, they had referred me to another doctor, but at the time I did not have insurance, so I was like, I'm gonna put this off. But yeah, essentially, I was at probably the lowest I've been since 12 years old. I had texted a girlfriend of mine who lives in Florida, who's one of my best friends. And I told her, I can't do this anymore. You know, I love you. And then she texted one of our mutual, really good friends who lives here. But she was actually in D.C. So then she called the police. So by the time I was about to do the do, I heard her banging on my door. And 10 ER people came in, you know, took down all my information, took photos of the scene, all all that stuff. And I thought it was funny that you mentioned like health insurance is because one of the things they said was you need to come into the ambulance. And I was like, I can't afford (laughs) an ambulance. Yeah. They're like, don't worry about it. We'll handle that later. You can pay a dollar a day if you need to, but like, this is important right now. We need to get you to the hospital. So situations like that, but um, I'm very thankful. I, I call my girlfriend, Jasmine, my lifesaver is her birthday last week, actually. So in the birthday card to her, I literally call her my angel. But yeah, it's, it's been a really, really hard year on every front from tensions with my family, financial tension, career, not really sure what I'm doing in this life or does it matter? You know, it was really hard. But um, 
like I said, you're here, God you're here though. I'm here. I'm happier than ever. I feel much more stable. And with all the resources I have now, I'm just ready to be my best self. And listen, you, you need to tell your story how you want to tell it when you want to tell it. And let me tell you something. We're so happy that you're here. Everyone listening, we're thankful f- for you to be here. I'm not saying on the show. I'm saying on the planet. You know what I mean? You're going to impact people with this episode. You've impacted me. You've changed my day. So the thing that you were talking about, one person, you got me already. So <laughs> I'm being serious. I'm not just saying that. I'm being serious. You changed the way I looked at my day today. So like, I'm going to live it up after this. You know, like I'm going to text my mom. I'm going to text my dad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm telling you, you're beautiful, right? You're beautiful. And what you need to understand is at times you might not feel that way. And it might not, you feel like everything else. I can only speak from my experience. I felt like a failure so many times in my life. I felt like such a fucking loser. Just a, like, like a nothing person, you know, yeah. like I don't add any benefit to my own life. So I can't benefit other people's lives. I can't do that. Depression has a way of speaking to you in ways that are just not true. So in the moments when you were in a good place, you need to speak to yourself positively. You need to speak about your life positively. You need to face things head on. I used to run from shit and it only got worse, worse and worse and worse. If I owed a bill, I ran from it, got worse and worse and worse and worse. <laughs> if I hurt my leg, I didn't help it worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. <laughs> I was the, that's just how I, that's how I was. I was an avoider. I, I was a master of avoidance and it weighed on my conscience. It weighed on my conscience so much that I would look around and be like, I'm a disaster of a person. But we all have these periods in our time. There was a time like five months ago, I said, you know what? It'd be, you know, it'd be dope if I just jumped in front of this train, you know? And it's like, and that's a normal thought to have sometimes. It's a normal thought to have sometimes. It's like, yeah, I wonder if I jumped in front of this train, if that shit would like, would do the job. Yeah. You know what I mean? And every time I've thought about, hurting myself and and taking my own life. I have this little voice that goes off in my head that I haven't been diagnosed with, but you know, I have a little thing that goes off in my head. I'm like, dude, you're going to ruin so many lives off of this decision. Right? So before you do it, you have to make sure that you have to go and get the best help that you can get. Cause I tell you, I tell people all the time, therapy, the sessions are fantastic, but you have to do the homework. You have to do the homework because listen, today, if you tell yourself that you're a loser a hundred times a day, your brain isn't smart enough to not know if you're kidding or not. Right. Subconsciously, you're going to start thinking you're a loser and you're not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you have to have a biggest things I'm working on is talking to myself nicer because all the things you're a failure, you're a nobody. What are you doing? You're stupid. You know, all of that. I I say it too often to myself. Meanwhile, Anybody, even strangers on the street, I will speak so much life into them. You're beautiful. Oh, you're such a wonderful spirit. Like God's covering you, all this stuff. But it's like, why can't I give myself that same love and grace back? It's because at times we don't love ourselves, mm-hmm. but we always love other people. That's the biggest problem with, that's one of the biggest things that I've noticed with people who suffer from depression like us is we'll go out of our way to make your day in a way that helps us deal with what we're dealing with for that moment in time. But it's the times when we're home alone 
and we're on Instagram or we're checking our bank statement or we're looking at comparing ourselves to other people's lives. You know, it's different for women, but women start thinking about their age. Their body is way, it's way different for women. You know, their looks, why can't I do this? I should have done this. I should have done that. And that's the stuff that kills you. That's the stuff that will kill you. You know, it's, you have to understand that, you know, and this is something I struggle with every day too. I don't have all the answers, but just in your sense, your case, just know I've been there and I've noticed that I've tricked my brain into actually thinking I was a loser mm-hmm. and that I was not even worthy to be alive anymore. But it's not the case. I'm telling you, if you practice just talking to yourself in a positive manner, you really, really have to love yourself more and more every day. Because one, it's infectious. When people see that you love yourself, it's infectious. People understand, you know? But I tell everybody at the end of the day, we go to sleep by ourselves. We have our own brains. We're not connected to anything. The human body is is God's most amazing creation of all time. Yeah. We are the iPhone. You know, we are. That's just like what we are. We That's really what we are. But like all machines, machines need maintenance. Yes. You know, m- machines need updates, software updates, firmware updates. We have to do that ourselves on a daily basis. So I'm so happy you're here. I, I'm trying not to cry. So I'm talking <laughs> a lot. I'm so proud of you. And I just met you today. I'm going to always be proud of you. I'm going to be thinking about you. I'm going to be checking in on you. And this is something that I want you to just take from this conversation. Anybody here at what we do at Off the Cuff, we have connections with everybody. If you ever need help, you holler at us. You ever need to talk to somebody, we have people that do that too. We care about you. You're a member of our community now. You're a member of our family. We love you. And I want you to know that you got this. You got this. You got this. But you have to say it. I got this. You got this. (laughs) All right? And we can't let those motherfuckers from middle school win. No, we can't. (laughs) No. Fuck them. It's not over. I'm ready to shine. I'm ready to grind. 1090 grinds. We got it. 1090 grind. 1090 grind. And and, uh, you listen. You're going to find the right apartment. You're going to find what it is you got to do. Trust me. uh, Trust me. Trust me. You got this. You got this. Thank you. Okay. And and I'm so proud of you. And I'm so proud of your strength that you're here. And I'm so proud that you were willing you're to say that. not going to make me cry, okay? <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, I don't want you to cry. I'm so proud that you're here. I'm so proud that you're here and that you have the balls. The balls. No one has bigger balls than women. Women <laughs> have the biggest balls. All right? If I offend anybody with that, sorry. Cancel me. But what I said is... To talk about that on this show like that, something that new to you is a very strong thing to do. And you're going to save somebody's life with that. You 100%. So I appreciate your candidness. I, I appreciate your transparency. We are fucking rooting for you. All right? You so Go out there and crush it. Crush that shit. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to. I'll make y'all proud. Absolutely. Where can everybody find you on the internet? You can find me at Tanae Dubs everywhere, T-A-N-A-Y-E-D-U-B-Z. Got it. And then, you know, listen, stay in touch. I'm going to be checking in on you now. Will do, man. I'm about to follow you back once we get off. I got you. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. 
If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!